Thanks, Asanda. Six minutes past 12. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thank you very much for joining us. We welcome your SMS's 34701. Otherwise, you can reach us on tweet or via tweet, as it were. Uh, we are at Kuala B News. That's uh, our Twitter handle, at Kuala B News. And, of course, we are monitoring the situation Situation at uh, the uh, Zobotla municipality in uh, Lichtenberg after angry protesters prevented acting MEC for local governance and traditional affairs there uh, to put the municipality under administration. The move by the Northwest government to place administrations uh, at three local municipalities due to incapacity was marred by opposition uh, and uh, protests yesterday. We also look at uh, Stats SA mortality figures. They show that uh, mortality continues to decline in. South Africa, but uh, tuberculosis maintained its uh, uh, number one spot as a leading cause of death in uh, this country. But uh, our top story this hour, the public hearings into the proposed amalgamation of Mfuleni local municipality, which is uh, Ferienhang and Sbokeng, and uh, the DA Ran Midval local municipality, are currently underway at the Ferienhang Town Hall. The demarcation board has announced the introduction of another metro municipality in Gauteng. The ANC says the new metro will be called the Val Metropolitan River City. The DA is uh, vehemently opposed to such move. If uh, it goes ahead, the DA stands to lose the only municipality it controls in Gauteng. Earlier, our senior producer and senior producer, Namalizo Mandela, spoke to the chairman of uh, the demarcation board and uh, started by asking him, all right, we'll come back uh, to that one uh, because uh, that uh, package is not ready, but Namalizo there speaking to the chairperson of uh, the demarcation board. Let's go now live uh, to the executive mayor of uh, Citibank, that's uh, Simon Mufokeng, and also on the line we're joined by the DA Houghton spokesperson for local government, that's uh, Fred Nell. Let's start with Simon, Simon, good afternoon to you. All right, Do you Simon. them? Hi, Simon, are you on the line? I'm on the line, yes. Okay. Thank I you. can hear you very well. All right, Simon Fukeng is uh, the chairperson of the ANC and executive mayor of uh, Citibank there. Let's see if we have on the line uh, Mr. Fred uh, Nell from the DA. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Nell. All right, we'll, we'll come back to Mr. Nell. Let's uh, start with uh, uh, Mr. Fokeng um, uh, um, here. The NC wants uh, the merger to go ahead. You even have the name for it. Uh, but uh, really, what will uh, such merger achieve? Uh, firstly, we currently have four administrations in this uh, district area. Uh, and I, um, I think it is a known fact that uh, in the area whereby we have got four administrations that uh, shares uh, both ex- executive and legislative authorities on various methods of service delivery. That by itself it affects efficiency and effectiveness of decision uh, making, which in return will affect uh, service delivery for our people because you may sometimes take longer than you are supposed to in making up decisions. So with the metro, you are going to have single and one authority in the region. Therefore, once the decision has been taken, it has been taken, it can be implemented uh, outright. So that's the first thing. Then the second issue is that uh, the metro is a much more economic uh, type of uh, uh, setup in the sense that uh, uh, currently you are paying for administrations. There are four mayors with their four executives, there are four mutual managers with their four uh, supporting executive uh, directors and so forth. So all this, they consume a lot of uh, taxpayers' money which could have been used for service delivery. So metro, uh, you only have one streamlined uh, type of administration. Uh, both politically and administratively. But what, another, uh, what are the views from the people of uh, that area? Uh, look, talking to you now, I'm outside, uh, it's full outside, the hall is full, uh, the majority of the people here, you know, if, if maybe we've got uh, 2,000 people here, I can say without any fear or favor that uh, more than 1,800 people, uh, or close to 2,000, are all saying that this area must be a metro so that uh, we can have service delivery efficiently. And, uh, and, and you know that, that how? Say it again? I'm saying how do you know that? Well, we are in the hall now. People are expressing their views. Uh, of course, there will be those that are, uh, are differing with that view. Uh, in the main, I mean, people uh, in the, in the mid uh, they are opposed to that view, uh, the DA, 
for, for various reasons. I think for them, it's more of a political reason. To us, uh, as, as, as ANC and as government in the debate, we are more on a service delivery issue. Say, what is it that must do to create efficiency? It should build one uh, uh, authority. Then, as to who will govern that authority uh, or that new municipality, to us it's not an issue. Okay. Of course, we'll campaign to govern it, but it, we must not firstly put up front to say who will govern it. That must not be an issue. It will be how do we create efficiency. All right. Uh, stay on the line, uh, Mr. Mfukeng, here, because uh, I want to bring uh, through Mr. Um, let's see, from, from the DA, Mr. Fred Nell. He is a DA Gauteng uh, spokesperson for local government there. Mr. Nell, good afternoon to you. Afternoon, how are you? I'm all right. The DA opposed vehemently to this move. Why? Yes, I think there's a misconception that a metro delivers better services than a local municipality. It's not true. Uh, the problem doesn't lie in terms of whether there should be a merger or not. The problem lies with the Municipal Structures Act, and that doesn't allow you or a province to get rid of district municipalities. And if we can get rid of district municipalities and allow local municipalities to execute a full local government mandate, that would already be a way of improving service delivery. The other misconception that there is is that there will be less staff because when you merge these uh, municipalities, there won't be uh, three uh, CFOs or three municipal managers. All the other metros that have been established have shown that nobody loses their jobs in those metros. In fact, the... um, the, um, what happens is all those staff are taken up with their salary scales into the new structure of a metro. So there's no saving there. In actual fact, most metros have increased their staff component, especially after mergers. So there is no saving going to be there at all. Mm. So the same tax base are going to carry more staff. And then finally, what we've also seen in the metros is that there was an immediate increase in rates and taxes, especially property rates, in a place like Kungwini went up for certain people by up to 2,000% after they were included in the China metro. Mm. But uh, clearly the merger goes through. The DA has no municipality that it runs in Gauteng. It's also, among other things, has to be looked at that way. Uh, it's a political survival fight for you, or is it not? Well, you know, if, if a merger is purely based on political affiliation, then it's the wrong reasons to establish a metro. Uh, we should look at the law, the Municipal Demarcation Act, and in Section 24 and 25, there are clear guidelines that must be adhered to. And, you know, we are suspicious of the Municipal Demarcation Board that they came, that they came with these proposals, not based on those specifications in those sections, but because of political issues and that the ANC wants to consolidate in Gauteng. Mm. So, you know, if you can, you can say that the DA wants to preserve a municipality that is running, yes, but also the, on the other side, the ANC wants to consolidate its power in Gauteng, and they just don't like any opposition. Are you, Mr. Nell, alleging that uh, the, the ANC and the, the Municipal Demarcation Board are not adhering to those guidelines that you're putting forward right now? In terms at the at the moment, the ANC's proposal for the merger is definitely not based on, on the provisions of sections 24 and 25 of the Demarcation Act. It's it's a it's a political decision, it's a policy decision on their side. The Demarcation Board is going through the process, and we will have to see to what decision they come, and based on what they make that decision before we can say that they were impartial or partial in this process. All right. Are you going to, are you going to, op- I'll come back to you just now, uh, uh, Mr. Mfukeng, but sure. uh, the DA, are you going to oppose this? And uh, obviously by vote, yes, you can oppose it, but are you going to take it to court? Do you see any loopholes? Do you see any elements that can actually uh, motivate you to go to court? Uh, yes, going to court would be a last resort, and that all depends on, on what basis the demarcation board makes its decision. Um, if, if they just make a decision without any proper reasons in terms of those sections of the law, then we will definitely take into court. We are also unhappy about the public participation process that is not held in all areas. For instance, Ekuruleni that's affected, as well as Midwall that's affected, are, have both been excluded from public participation meetings in those municipalities, and we feel that 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 is a, that's one of the loopholes that we would exploit. Mr. Mfokeng, Mr. Nell here alleges that you're flouting the uh, guidelines uh, governing the demarcation uh, process, but uh, also it's a political maneuvering, as uh, he puts it. What do you say to that? No, I, I said the first thing that we do, uh, both as the ANC and, and, and the government in the district, is that 
what is it that we must do to make sure that there is an effective and efficient delivery? Then our experience has shown that this fragmented uh, uh, multi-authority in the same space uh, is very much uh, inefficient and it's it's not easy to govern, to take decisions. So we have come to a conclusion that you need a single authority here for that decision-making to be efficient. Then when we look now, there is a, a, the law provides attributes, you know, criteria as to what area uh, can create a metro municipality increase. Then we have checked our status uh, now against all those uh, uh, criteria. Then we find that we are fitting. Therefore, we came to condition that therefore means that we must become the metro. So that's, that's what the, the process says. Now, as far as the issue of people of Midwa not being taken on board on public participation, I'm very much disappointed to hear that because Citibank has always been trying to talk to the real city Midwa, the DA there. They have made everything possible in their endeavor to make sure that the halls and all other facilities that will uh, provide a platform for public participation are not available. So, in fact, they are the ones that have been suppressing people so that they can come with this reason later. Now, coming to the issue whether this is a political matter to us, to us we are saying, if DA believes that they are doing a good sales delivery in Midwal, they believe that they are doing a good sales delivery in Cape Town. So they must use that as a lobbying thing, as a campaign thing, that they can win that metro. So us, it's not about uh, who will win the metro. Anyway, we are going to contest for that metro. For us, the main thing is an efficient structure that will give a proper sales to our people. That's the first thing. Then the, the, second, the, the, the campaign to win or to govern becomes the secondary. Okay. But the primary thing is a better services. Then as who, who govern becomes secondary to us. All right. Uh, I thank you both, uh, gentlemen. That's uh, the chairperson of the ANC and executive mayor of uh, Citibank. That's uh, Simon Fukeng. And uh, the DA Gauteng spokesperson on local government. That's uh, Fred Nell there. Let's go back now to uh, that conversation between our senior producer here, Nomalizo Mandela, and uh, the Demarcation Board's chairperson. That's uh, Landiwe Matlangu. First, uh, Nomalizo started by asking him about the reasons for the proposed amalgamation. The meeting today, it's one of the proposals that is before the board, and it's taking place in uh, in Sedibeng. Uh, we're going to, again, uh, hear the views of the various stakeholders concerning a proposed um, uh, recategorization this time of uh, Midval local municipality as well as the influent municipality um, uh, with a view of, of creating a category A municipality or a, a metro. So it's basically processes and uh, we are going to uh, start with this meeting uh, in next mm-hmm. Just briefly, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, where are these areas exactly? They involve which areas in particular? They are all in the province of Gauteng. The currently, as you know, is that um, uh, the municipalities I'm talking about form the um, one of the districts uh, in Gauteng, which is currently comprised of Midwal municipality uh, and Fuleni as well as Lithic. Uh, so those three municipalities constitute a district of city day. So the proposal before us is to um, um, to look at actually. Um, uh, recategorizing the two larger municipalities of the three. So, w- within these proposals, are there any reasons yes. for these suggestions? Uh, and, and if you are in a position to maybe give us those reasons? Essentially, um, um, just in principle, the whole idea of a metro, we've always said that a metro is the only municipality uh, in our current constitutional and legislative framework that is best secret to deal with uh, areas of space or areas that uh, is experiencing greater urbanization, because it is a municipality that doesn't have to share powers with others. Um, so the way that I've always used, the thing that I've always used to say, if indeed, uh, if you look at the metro legislation, which is covered in the, in the Section 2 of our Structures Act, is it in itself a capacitating act to ensure that this area where this municipality has is is beginning to experience you know, higher population density. So if, if if those features begin to actually happen, you need to have a special type of municipality. And uh, that's uh, Landiwe Matlangu, the chairperson of the Municipal Demarcation Board, in conversation with uh, our senior producer here, Nomalizo Mandela. It's uh, 20 minutes past 12.
Our top story this hour, the presidency says there is no contradiction between President Jacob Zuma and Minister Trevor Manuel's statements on the legacy of apartheid. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,557 an ounce, platinum trading at $1,524.50 an ounce, the rand is trading at 8 rand 90 against the US dollar, at 13.60 against the pound, and 11.60 to the euro. Sasa would like to inform all beneficiaries who have not been able to re-register for their new Sasa payment cards that they will be given a 30-day grace period to re-register before end April 2013. Sasa will be sending out letters of notification in May 2013 informing non-compliant beneficiaries of their intention to stop their grants within 90 days. Home visits for the sick, frail and senior citizens over 75 years as well as care dependency grant beneficiaries will continue as scheduled until end May 2013. Sasa, paying the right grant to the right person at the right time and place, Njalo. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. Tonight on Top Billing, myself and super chef Luke Dale Roberts are literally smoking in the kitchen. Hi, I'm Fez Lembella and I play Titi Mukhale on SABC3's new drama series, High Road. Yeah, I catch all the behind-the-scenes action on top of Join us in New York where we catch up with TransSky native and designer extraordinaire, Jeffrey Bradfield. And I share my private retreat only on top billing. That's tonight at 8.30 on SABC3. Just a quick SMS here and uh, perhaps a story that we need to follow up on. I hear that uh, Kusile Power Station is uh, in a standstill. No work is happening at the moment. There's a huge strike there. I'd like uh, to hear because my my brother is there and when he called, I couldn't hear him properly because of uh, the noise there. This one is unsigned. Okay, so we'll put in a call there to Kusile Power Station and see what is going on there. So rest assured by the end of the program, we'll have a sense of uh, what is going on there. I'll be reading more of your SMS is about uh, the uh, proposed merger in uh, the Val there. Uh, you had that discussion between the ANC and the DA and, of course, uh, from uh, the chairperson of the Demarcation Board, Landiwe Matlangu. Let's go to Khaborone now and uh, speak to our presidential reporter, Ndebo Mokobo. Well, negotiations on how the five member states of the Southern African Customs Union, SACU, will share funds from the common revenue pool is set to top the agenda at the upcoming summit uh, to be held in Khaborone starting tomorrow. Since 2010, SACU members have been renegotiating a 2002 revenue sharing agreement after member states threw out a new draft formula which proposed significant revenue cuts to some member states. Debo, maybe just uh, let's start by really unpacking SACU. Uh, what is it all about and uh, the mandate of uh, this organization? Good afternoon, uh, Bongi, and good afternoon to the listeners. Yes, indeed, the SACU was, uh, as, you, uh, as you correctly pointed, is the South, Southern uh, African Customs Union, which was established in 1910, with countries that include Botswana, South Africa, and Swaziland, with Namibia only uh, joining the club late in 1990 after its independence. But for years, this has been like... Uh, a, 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 an organization uh, which uh, one would say it was a colonial and apartheid sort of a dominated system uh, which was really pushing, you know, the foreign policies and economic policies of the apartheid regime then. But now with uh, the democratization of all these countries, with South Africa and Namibia uh, becoming democratized in 1990, 1989, 1990, 1994, uh, this institution has now been formalized. And, of course, there are a number of... integration because these are SACU members, these are only five countries within the SADC region, but the other uh, countries, for instance, in the SADC region that are still uh, supporting or are uh, 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 behind this regional economic integration. And of course, again, there are other 
sort of a bigger pool of this uh, customs union countries that include your Angola and Mozambique, which are a part of the SADC region, but the SADC region that has been formalized, or countries that have been formalized, there's uh, countries that are uh, in for the economic partnership agreement with the European Union. The, the, the main issue right now at uh, the, well, one of the main issues really at uh, the Khabarone uh, summit that gets underway tomorrow is that of uh, uh, really revenue sharing. Some are saying it's skewed. After South Africa, Botswana is the second largest uh, beneficiary from uh, the customs revenue common pool. And I understand this is top of the agenda there, on the agenda rather. Yes, it's on the agenda. It's one of the issues that is likely to be tackled by uh, the heads of state in the Council of Ministers yesterday, deliberated at length on this issue. But uh, uh, this uh, uh, revenue sharing, it has been on the agenda for some time now, and uh, all the commission or the members of the commission, for instance, your director generals as well as your press secretaries from different countries, because other countries don't have uh, the director generals, they, they opted for press co- uh, secretaries. They've been deliberating on this for the past few days, and then uh, yesterday they briefed the Council of Ministers. And, of course, the Council of Ministers will brief the uh, heads of states tomorrow, but what will happen is that a report or a final report will be tabled sometime later this year, around December, uh, whereby uh, all countries would now sort of come up with a consensus in terms of how are they going to tackle this, because the stability study has been conducted and only uh, later this year, around December, the final report will be presented. Tomorrow, they will be brief about the progress made in terms of actualizing or, or sort of formalizing this thing. But uh, later this year, it is then that maybe you will see the heads of state now adopting this. Because, again, what is interesting about this meeting is that this meeting of heads of state has been institutionalized. It is now a sort of a, a credible uh, sort of institution or credible that would even uh, intervene where there is a deadlock or a place, something like a, a, a deadlock breaker. Where there is a deadlock, they even sign treaties. So this meeting, the constitution of SACO within the framework of SACO has been changed. All uh, uh, the, the, these meetings of heads of state will now have the power to sort of uh, sign even treaties. And even where there is deadlock, they will have to intervene. So this is one progress about this meeting, or maybe a new development mm. that, uh, uh, that we can report about the meeting itself, is that the meeting of heads of state will now be institutionalized going forward. Right, uh, right now, but who is at- attending this, uh, this summit? Is it uh, uh, the technocrats right now who are talking? Well, the technocrats met uh, uh, on, when, on Tuesday. Those are the, you know, the director generals. Those are the guys who normally deal with the nothing balls of uh, policy issues. They met on Tuesday. They discussed that. Uh, yesterday, they briefed the ministers. Uh, uh, after briefing the ministers, now the ministers are armed to go into the uh, 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 summit itself, whereby they will be briefing uh, the heads of state, five of them from the five countries. I wonder how much is in the kitty here. I mean, it looks like it's a lot of money. We're talking billions. And uh, how is this money collected? Is it money from, uh, is it interest? Is it a fee? Is it a customs uh, money charged by these countries when goods move uh, through their borders? Well, the money is collected from the customs. Uh, it's It's not money that, it's not a kitty that has been set up and then every country will have to uh, put something there, it's money that is uh, collected from tariffs. Because you would recall that, I mean, uh, tariffs is it's a very important uh, issue, especially for these countries. Because you would recall, uh, they differ in terms of their, 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 their strength, economically, even politically. So they, they need to have a common uh, sort of pool where everyone is expected to, 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 to sort of contribute. But all this money comes from tariffs. And again, you would recall that I mean, uh, uh, all these five countries, uh, including Mozambique and Angola, are the countries that are negotiating the economic partnership as a solid group with uh, countries, uh, uh, I mean, the 27 countries of the EU. So, so they need to, to come up with a common understanding, even a common approach in terms of their tariffs. 
Thank you very much uh, to our presidential reporter there, Ndobo Mokobo. Let me just tell you that uh, after South Africa, Botswana is the second largest beneficiary from the customs revenue common pool with a 2013-14 financial year estimates forecasting the two countries share the over 13 billion rand or 31% uh, the annual revenue budget or of the annual revenue budget. It's at 12.30 right now and it's time for the news headlines with Asanda Matsaunyan. Thank you very much, Sander. Well, we look forward to that bulletin at 1 o'clock. But uh, let's go to Nancy Richards now in Cape Town. What's coming up on Otherwise Between 1 and 2 today? Hi there, Bongi. Thank you. Well, what we're going to start with on this show today is something that I think a lot of women will relate to. It's The List. We'll be hearing about a play of the same name, looking at what happens when a woman forgets what's on her to-do list. After that, in our April series on marriage last week, we looked at child brides. Well, today it's the complete reverse. We're looking at lesbian marriage. How different is it from heterosexual ones? What are the challenges uh, socially and, uh, and emotionally? So that's what we've got on the show today. Do join us if you can, and that's uh, right after the news at one. Thanks, Bongi. Tune in to Morning Talk with William Bongi. I have been concerned when you drive out to say the SABC and you go into Soweto. At one o'clock, the kids are already going home. Afternoon talk with Asafkada. When you receive monies from the layperson, from the Patrice Masepas, do you really have the time, do you care to go and investigate whether they in fact are paying their own staff well or you say, we need the money for a great cause and that's the truth, we're going to take it anyway no matter what. The talk show with Mas Chabamdor. Does it not make sense for the state to share the costs with business to ensure that young people get the expertise that they need, get these particular skills that they constantly ask for and found wanting? Only on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. The South African Reserve Bank has defended its independence following a warning by the bank's top official that uh, the bank's independence could be in jeopardy. The bank's head of uh, the Financial Stability Unit, Hendrik Nell, told a British-based central banking journal that uh, the new additional powers in terms of uh, the Twin Peak policy will compromise the Reserve Bank's traditional role and could be in conflict with the bank's monetary policy. Tsepo Mungwai reports. The Reserve Bank says it's ready to implement the new financial regulatory reforms known as the Twin Peaks. The new regulatory framework is aimed at enhancing the Reserve Bank's ability to maintain safety and soundness of all the country's financial institutions. In the past, the central bank was responsible for regulating mainly banks. The scope will now be broadened to ensure the sustainability of all financial institutions, including the insurance industry. In the latest online edition, the Central Banking Journal, which is distributed around the world, Reserve Bank Head of Financial Stability Hendrik Nell is quoted as saying that the new powers would make the Central Bank more accountable to government, threatening its independence. Attempts by the SABC to solicit further clarity from Nell were redirected to the Deputy Governor, Lesetja Khanyaro. Well, I guess the poor man didn't finish his sentence because he says that the Reserve Bank didn't have a choice uh, but um, uh, to take this uh, mandate. Uh, Mr. Nell could have been misquoted. I can't say that he has been misquoted. He didn't finish his sentence. Oh, his, he sentence and his sentence ended on it was imposed on us. And I am saying to you, we can't say it is imposed on us. We have an obligation in terms of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa to ensure that we pursue our mandate in the interest of balance and sustainable growth in the Republic. According to an article published on the centralbanking.com website, among areas of concerns raised by Nell include possible conflicts between financial health regulation and monetary policy. He stated that the new powers would make the central bank more accountable to government, threatening its independence. Centralbank.com's editor, Chris Jeffrey, explains the context of the interview. So, so Hendrik was really making some comments uh, to, to our reporter, Daniel Hinge, uh, who was following up on uh, the meetings last week that were held with the IMF and, and the South African Reserve Bank. Uh, with Southern African central banks and finance ministries. And, uh, and Hendrik made a, an interesting observation that these uh, additional powers uh, will complicate SARP's role and responsibilities much more, but they, they don't really have much of a choice. Hanyaro says the new financial regulatory reforms will formalize some of the existing central bank's role in ensuring financial stability. 
So from the South African Reserve Bank, all the way uh, from the governor, and I'm speaking with the authority of the governor here, um, welcomes the fact that we now would be doing financial stability as an explicit mandate because we have always been doing it, but it was just an implicit, uh, implicit uh, uh, mandate. In terms of the Twin Peak, the Reserve Bank will also be allocated new powers with respect to financial markets infrastructure, such as exchanges, clearing houses, and the Central Securities Depository. I am Tepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. Just a couple of SMSs on the public hearings into the proposed amalgamation of Mfulen Local Municipality, which is uh, Ferenacheng and Sbukeng, and uh, the DA Ran Midval Local Municipality. They're currently underway. KB writes, call the Mangaung and the Nelson Mandela residents who are in the rural parts of the metro. They will tell you that uh, no difference has happened in their lives. This one coming from Brian Kumalo, it says, if the municipality that is being run by the DA now was run by the ANC, would the ANC suggest such a proposal of a metro? It's just a matter of principle, writes Brian Kumalo then. It's 23 minutes to 1. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Legal experts have warned that time is running out for Zimbabwe to push through political and legal reforms to ensure credible elections expected later this year. They say the legal framework requires considerable revision to the Bill of Rights and Electoral Laws to align it to a new constitution approved by voters last month. Parliament expires on the 29th of June and Finance Minister Tendai Biti has said postponing elections beyond October would be illegal but says without requisite measures in place, Zimbabwe is heading for another flawed poll. Shingai Nyoga reports. The timelines towards Zimbabwe's election are just not adding up. A new constitution, the cornerstone of the reform process, will only be adopted by Parliament in May, giving parliamentarians just six weeks to align key electoral and civil laws. The two Movement for Democratic Change parties within the troubled coalition are adamant that an overhaul is needed of the public institutions perceived to be partisan, including the media and security forces. But constitutional law expert Derek Matizak says the chances of this are slim. The parties have to agree the legislation. Um, The legislation is supposed to be gazetted before it's discussed by the parliamentarians. It's then got to be signed into law. Um, There are also some changes that need to be made to provisions pertaining to local government and provincial councils. That legislation also really needs to come in before the elections take place. The MDC, of course, would have it that there are other reforms that are required, security sector reforms, media reforms, etc. It's not going to happen, but their political rhetoric is that they require that before elections. And certainly... um, even if ZANU-PF had the willing to implement these reforms which are required by the GPA, uh, there would be insufficient time to put those into place. At 89 and increasingly frail, President Robert Mugabe is in a hurry to call for elections and his party believes a recent High Court ruling upholding Parliament's June expiry date bolsters its position for an early poll. ZANU-PF representative Jonathan Moyo explains. Therefore, we need to hold elections before that end. Otherwise, we'll have a country with an unelected government without parliament to make laws. Therefore, a government ruling by decree. That is not in the interest of democracy or of the law, and it is not part of our culture. But the constitution permits the elections to be called within four months of parliament's dissolution, giving ZANU-PF's rivals hope that static mediators in the Zimbabwe crisis will be able to pressure President Mugabe to ease control of key institutions and hold elections at the latest possible time. MDC Secretary General Priscilla Misihai-Rambri. SADC is staying the course. Um, I don't think SADC has changed its position, uh, not only in terms of uh, President Zuma, but in terms of the entire SADC. What SADC has said about Zimbabwe is that when we do go to an election, it has to be an election that is credible, it has to be an election that is free and fair, because SADC does not want Zimbabwe back on the SADC agenda after 2018. So they will not accept anything short than a free and fair election. So we are, we are glad that SADC is still committed to that process and we are sure that until and unless 
the environment is good enough, is free enough to go for an election. Nothing short of a free and fair election is acceptable to Sadek. According to Sadek, it still needs to assist Zimbabwe to put an election roadmap in place outlining minimum conditions for acceptable elections. But even that appears to be a mammoth task for parties which at this time appear entrenched in their positions. Shingai Nyoka, SABC News, Harare, Zimbabwe. And uh, just one SMS here coming from uh, Razvik saying that a crucifixion by the world of politics from a concrete jungle life Three months without tap water at area of Makado. Is this a freedom we fought for? Us, uh, Razvik, there. With that, we go to the dealing room and we say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. Sudhir, how are the markets looking today? Bongi global markets uh, have opened uh, mostly higher this morning, uh, with Asian markets rising on the back of gains in the U.S. and hopes that Japan's central bank bank's easing would lift sentiment. And European stocks rose as retailers gained on the back of Marks and Spencer, climbing to a three-week high after posting sales that exceeded expectations. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks rose for a third straight day last night on the back of reports showing that Fed officials think the central bank should pull back its bond purchases later this year. Locally, the JSE is seeing some consolidation this morning, um, with the miners leading to the downside. In corporate news, investors uh, have reacted negatively to news that MTN is looking to spend around $8 billion on an acquisition in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. On a positive, uh, Exaro has gained on news that it expects to start mining iron ore in the DRC later this year, producing around 10 million tons a year. Taking a look at the local indices, we've got the gold index, which is down uh, 1.3%. Resource 10 index is down just under 1.5%. The Industrial 25 Index is up half a percent. The Financial Index is up 0.2%. And overall, the market is down around 64 points, 0.2%, 39,006. And the stocks on the move today? On the upside, we have Richmond, which is up just over 2% at 70 rands and 30 cents. ShopRite is up 1.5% at 180 rands and 10 cents. Oh, Mutual is up almost 1% at 27 rands and 60 cents. Woolworths is up half a percent at 69 rands and 80 cents. And on the downside, we have AVI, which is down just over 2% at 52 rand and 60 cents. Vodacom is down 1.4% at 108 rand and 80 cents. MTN is down 1% at 162 rand and 50 cents. And lastly, we have Sassel, which is down almost a percent at 397 rand and 10 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,557 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,524.50 an ounce. Brent crude is at $105.60 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 8 rand 90 cents to the dollar, 13 rand 60 cents to the pound, and 11 rand 60 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much to Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. Trade conditions moved into positive territory in March 2013. The Trade Activity Index from the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, Saki, moved from 52 in January 2013 to 56 in March 2013. Saki says public holidays in March did not have a negative effect on trade conditions and they may have even been supportive of improved trade. The improvements in trade conditions between February and March this year indicate that despite an overall depressed business mood as reflected by the Saki Business Confidence Index for March, pockets of optimism remain in the country, or in the economy at least. Uh, that story coming through from uh, our economics desk, Akram there. Thank you very much for that. Let's go now to Murafet Tabane, our reporter there, uh, economics reporter. ESCOM Chief Executive Brian Dames and Public Enterprises Minister Malu Sikikaba are briefing the media on the progress at Medubi and uh, on uh, the state of uh, the power system. This uh, after about 2,000 workers downed tools at the construction site of the plant, the power plant uh, which is expected to contribute to the national grid by the end of this year has been hit by many work stoppages since construction started more than five years ago. Rafi Tabani, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Bobby. Uh, what did ESCOM uh, Chief Executive Brian Dames and Public Enterprises Minister Malusu Kikawa say at the briefing? Well, they haven't as yet briefed the media. At the moment, we are at the construction site. Uh, we are just taking a walk apart at the construction site, so they haven't as yet briefed the media. And, of course, what we can see and 
I think that you can even get the background. There are generators work, there is progress. Uh, work is taking place. There are a number of workers walking around wearing green work suits, wearing orange work suits, blue work suits, as well as their protective um, clothing gear. Of course, um, what, what has been happening is that uh, we've learned that uh, there are serious challenges, though, in terms of meeting the Although the work that is being done here, there are challenges in terms of meeting the deadline. Remember that uh, the first phase is supposed to have been completed by the end of the year. So there are challenges uh, when it comes to that. And what are those challenges? Well, uh, according to ESCOM, for instance, uh, I think that uh, the problem lies with the quality of the work in terms of what contractors have done. Uh, they think that uh, there is the central computer system which operators use to monitor and control the plant. Uh, the software, they say, has not passed uh, the factory acceptance test. And then they also think that um, there are multiple wells that need to be tested uh, because of um, irregularities that were found in the in the plant, and these wells, mainly these these are the uh, wells that um, connect the different uh, trees, and they think that there are problems with these particular trees and even the wells, and then also uh, the wells are made using unqualified produce, uh, procedure will need to be replaced. So those are some of the challenges that they are talking about, and they think that they are on cause. And for instance, even before we came onto the site here, I understand that the minister met with the stakeholders, including um, contractors, local community leaders, as well as um, uh, business leaders, just to hear their concerns, but also to stress to contractors that they have to meet their deadline and make sure that everything is uh, of um, quality, of good quality. And you will remember that um, earlier this year, Bongi, the minister, Malisi Gigaba, uh, threatened to fund contractors if they do not meet the deadline. All right, we understand, uh, of course, uh, of the many work stoppages there. Any disruption today, perhaps, by the workers just to drive home their demands now that the minister is there and the CEO of ESCOM? No, not at all, not at all, Bongi. Um, in fact, I managed to speak to some workers who are quite cheerful, saying that uh, they are quite happy that the minister has come uh, on site and shows that he is quite concerned and he would like to address their concerns as workers. Um, and obviously, uh, we understand that uh, there is one energy um, specialist who said that uh, there are issues about the coal that uh, ESCOM is supposed to be sourcing from the nearby Khrotekhalek mine. And workers are saying that that shouldn't be a problem because already uh, that coal is being used at uh, one of the power stations already. So that mine is just being expanded to ensure that it also supplies EDP. So there, there haven't been any work stoppages here on this day. We thank you very much. Uh, our economics reporter there is Morafe Tabane. Let's talk now to the statistician general, uh, Mr. Padili Khotla there. Uh, the stats SA has released mortality figures and they point to mortality declining in South Africa as observed from 2007. However, tuberculosis remains the number one uh, leading cause of death in South Africa. Uh, Mr. Statistician General, good afternoon to you. A lot of figures to go through here, but uh, what's interesting is that uh, mortality declining in South Africa at least by 6.2 percent. Yeah, indeed, uh, indeed, from about 2001 to 2007, mortality was increasing. Mm. But, uh, at about 2007, there was a turning point in mortality. And and what is this attributable to? Uh, the mortality attributable to. Uh, uh, the, 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 the decrease is in the infectious diseases such as tuberculosis. I think that the term of HIV, AIDS, and antivirals uh, is the main thing that has extended uh, life now uh, from high mortality regimes that we saw. Mm. And However, there is an increase in the lifestyle, uh, diseases such as uh, cancer, diabetes, and such. And uh, HIV? HIV... Uh, has always been problematic in that it was not a notifiable disease, and it still remains so. So, although it's number six at the moment from a position of number nine, it's not very clear whether it is that because there is increasing HIV or is it there is increasing notification. Mm.
And I see because uh, what doctor write is what he code. Of, of course, of course, indeed. Mm. And uh, I see here KwaZulu Natal and Gauteng still notorious for the deaths here because in 2010, for instance, uh, the, the, the deaths that occurred in 2010 were among males and those aged between 30 and 39 and were in KwaZulu Natal and Gauteng. Well, I mean, the number of deaths that occur in Gauteng and KwaZulu Natal, we have to base them uh, on their population. You would expect more deaths occurring in KwaZulu Natal and Gauteng because of the size of population. However, there are more deaths proportionately in KwaZulu Natal than Kauteng. KwaZulu Natal is smaller than Kauteng, but the number of deaths occurring in KwaZulu Natal are much more higher than Kauteng. But having said that, uh, for every hundred, the province that has the highest number of deaths uh, for every hundred, uh, that is in every hundred, the, more, the biggest number of deaths that occur are in the free state. So even though the number of deaths in the free state are about 48,000, the hundreds, they are much more than they are in Gauteng, in KwaZulu-Natal, and in Western Cape. Mm. I see here, though, that uh, particularly in KwaZulu-Natal and Gauteng, as you highlighted, uh, those who died in 2010 were between the ages, or most of them were between the ages 30 and 39. Very worrying young people who can still contribute to the GDP of the country. What are they dying from? Yes, indeed, that's where your tuberculosis, your influenza, your HIV and AIDS uh, take them. All right, and uh, what about uh, lifestyle diseases? Lifestyle diseases are largely towards the end of age, and sector uh, also by race you find that they're more predominant amongst whites, cancer uh, and uh, heart diseases. Mm. But those are at a much elder age than uh, the, the, the other diseases of tuberculosis, respiratory, influenza, uh, uh, and uh, and pneumonia. And uh, what's happening within the 15 to 19 year old uh, age group there? Uh, there you find that there's more accidents. Uh, younger people are very adventurous and they die from uh, accidents. Okay, and how far back uh, do these figures look? Uh, the figures go as far back as 1997, but I wouldn't uh, uh, put a lot of reliance of 97 to 2000 because the numbers of homelands of death were not included in the database. Mm. Although we would have known how, what the population size of South Africa would have been. It's proportionate. Uh, the, so the increases of death from 97 to 2000 was uh, a, a factor of absence of the numbers included in the database. The, the numbers became more stable from 2000 to 2010. So you want the time a trend line, and that tells the tale, then we should start more around 2000 with the numbers. Although we still produce for 1997, uh, from 1997. But uh, generally, what do these figures tell us, and how do you conclude when you have these figures in front of you? Well, I think uh, the beauty of the, of the figures, not of death itself, uh, but the beauty of the figures is that uh, we have these numbers uh, at the level of local authority, at the level of municipalities. For instance, I mean, uh, 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 in a, in a, in a, today where we are presenting these results. And in presenting these results, we can see that in Tabongfutsanyana is the area which has the highest death intensity in every hundred. So first, they are usable at the lower level of geography and therefore very, very policy relevant. And you can understand them by cause of death by trend line, uh, and that's the, 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 the important thing. So policy in health, in education, uh, in economy, uh, and even the backdrop of census, uh, 2011, you can interpret these figures uh, much better, and uh, you can act on policy much more, uh, in a much more pointed fashion. The All pencil right. has been sharpened much better. All right, we thank you very much, uh, Mr. Statistician General. That's a Padili Hutler there. It's uh, five minutes to one. The United Nations Refugee Agency says a breaking point has been reached due to a massive funding shortage for Syrian humanitarian relief. Nearly 1.3 million Syrians, a 40-fold increase from a year ago, are now registered as refugees in the region. A January aid conference in Kuwait received pledges of over $1.5 billion in funding, but a fraction of that amount has been received to date, forcing the UN to raise the alarm. Showing Bryce Pierce reports. The needs on the ground are extraordinary. 
as refugees continue to stream across Syria's border, while UN spokesperson Eduardo Del Bui pointed to pledges that simply are not being met. The Syrian Humanitarian Assistance Response Plan, covering the period from January to June 2013, requires $519 million in funding. But as of 7th of April, according to the Office of the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, the plan was only 40% funded. All sectors are underfunded, especially community services, health, education, and shelter, and non-food items. The water, sanitation, and hygiene sector has received only 7.5% of its required funding, just as the hot summer season is approaching. UN Chief Ban Ki-moon in January said the $1.5 billion committed at the Kuwait conference brought a message of hope to Syrians who'd been affected by this terrible crisis. But critically, as the money dries up, the UN fears the refugee crisis will merely be augmented. The main donors to the conference, Kuwait, the UAE and Saudi Arabia, each pledged $300 million, but have only given a fraction of their pledges directly to the UN. Panos Mauptis is with the Office of the High Commissioner for Refugees. At the moment, we are particularly uh, waiting for a confirmation or for materialization of the pledges made from the Gulf states in particular. Most of the Western states who have pledged during that conference, these pledges have materialized. A civil war now in its third year. More than 70,000 people have died in Syria, 1.2 million homes destroyed, and 3 million displaced inside and outside of the country. And despite the great difficulties of access, some 2 million Syrians received food aid in March. The UNHCR's Panos Mauptis again. We're afraid if no more money, if no more funds uh, are made available urgently, and this is where we are at the breaking point, we will come to a point where we will have to start reducing aid, prioritizing aid, and this is where we get to this horrible Meetings, I have to say, is one of the most difficult tasks uh, we have to do, where we look in a very cold-blooded way into the operations and have to decide, uh, is primary health more important than secondary? Is education, is uh, shelter, is our camps, how about people who are in urban centers? And some prioritization then starts taking place. Twelve months ago, Syrian refugees totaled just 30,000. Now... 200,000 flee the country every month. Sherman Bryceby's SABC News, New York. And there are top stories of this hour. The ANC and the DA are at lockerheads over the Midval local municipality. In the Val Rand, the Municipal Democratic Board is holding a public consultation meeting on the proposed merging of Mfuleni and Midval local municipalities into a single metro. The DA, for them, it's more of a political reason. To us, uh, as, as, as ANC and as government in City Bank, we are more on a service delivery issue. Say, what is it that must do to create efficiency, to build one uh, authority? We are suspicious of the municipal demarcation board that they came that they came with these proposals, not based on those specifications in those sections, but because of political issues and that the ANC wants to consolidate in Gauteng. And the Deputy Governor of the South African Reserve Bank, Lasaja Khanyaho, has defended the statement made by the bank's head of financial stability unit, Hendrik Nell, when he told a British-based central banking journal that the new additional powers in terms of the Twin Peaks policy will compromise the Reserve Bank's traditional role and could be in conflict with the bank's monetary policy. I can't say that he has been with COVID.